Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app or visit amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free and catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey everyone, welcome to the Lauren Interviews Podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Conlon. Happy Wednesday. I am trying something new where I have two guests per episode. So instead of doing two shorter episodes per week like I usually do, I'm going to try to jam two guests into one podcast and see how that goes. So I'm excited for today. Um, I think you guys are really going to like these men that I have on the podcast. They are both very different. I have the very handsome Reginald Hudlin and the equally handsome LaVon Kirkland. Now, LaVon, I'm going to start with him. LaVon Kirkland is is a former NFL player. He um, was a linebacker and he played for the Pittsburgh Steelers and he ended his career, um, I think, on the Eagles and maybe the Seahawks. So LaVon is also a member of the Clemson Hall of Fame and he has his own podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. So he was really fun to talk to. I totally admit I know nothing about football. I'm a total dummy, but he was very sweet to me, did not make me feel silly. And he also gives his take on the Super Bowl, which I guess is this Sunday if, you know, we're we're really into that, which I am not. Um, But anyway, so then we have Reginald Hudland. So Reginald actually directed and wrote the film House Party. That's, I mean, I don't want to say that's what he's known for because he also was nominated for Emmys and Oscars and, and produced the Oscars and uh, and the Emmy Awards as well. But no, he wrote and directed that. And um, he's promoting the docuseries on Amazon called Fat Tuesdays. And that premiered last Friday, which I think was February 4th on Prime Video. So that's the story of an all-black comedy night at the Comedy Store in LA from 1995 to 2005. And the cast is full of amazing comedians. Like, it's it's awesome. Um, Tiffany Haddish, you know, the late Bob Saget, and just so many more. Um So yeah, Reginald, just a little bit more about him. He's the second African-American to produce the Oscars, and he was the first African-American to produce the Emmys. And then he um, is about to produce the NAACP Image Awards for the 10th time. I mean, he's... He's a busy guy. Uh, he, um, he definitely, uh, we definitely don't see eye to eye on, uh, Cedric the Entertainer. And when he hosted the Emmys, I thought Cedric was terrible and he's the one that hired him. And we actually talk about this. It's very interesting. Um, but yeah, anyway, I'm going to start with Reginald. Um, did you hear that knock? I just knocked on a table as I said that. We're going to start with Reginald and then we will segue into LeVon. So Hi, um, without further ado, here's Reginald Hudlin. How are you? I'm fantastic. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm I'm a little starstruck right now because I cannot believe that I'm talking to the writer director of House Party. Oh, thank you. Seriously, I feel like I'm talking to royalty. Oh, very kind of you. No, I'm happy <laughs> to be on your show. Well, that's that's very nice. But honestly, I I want to get to Fat Tuesday and I will. But I I mean, like you, you made kid and play. I swear you made kid and play. 
But they were great guys to work with, and we had so much fun making that movie. And, you know, that's the thing. If you can, you know, make good works that stand the test of time and have fun while you're doing it, what's better than that? Wait, that's a good point. It does stand the test of time, too, because I'm in my 30s and I really like that movie. I feel like my generation is probably the last generation to um, know what it is. So I might have to explain this to a few people. But you know what? I'm I'm here for it. Um, I also wanted to ask you about your writing on uh, the Black Panther. You worked on that for a while. Yeah, I wrote the comic book for four years, and uh, I also wrote and produced an animated series uh, based on um, my comic. Okay. Did you have anything to do with the um, the series, the Marvel series, the the movies, and everything? Did they did they come to no, you the, for you know, no? The movies they, they you know look they were inspired a lot by the work I did. I right. mean, for example, Shuri, Black Panther's little sister, she didn't even exist until I started writing the comic. I said. He's a king. Royalty, all, they don't just have one kid. You yeah. always got an heir and a spare. So I said, let's give him a little sister and have her be even smarter than he is. So wow. uh, uh, I created Shuri, and I figured, well, in the long run, both my son and my daughter will have Black Panther costumes to wear on, on Halloween. Yes. So that, was, <laughs> that was my motivation. Wow, that's so badass. I love it. I never knew that. So that's very cool. Um, now, Fat Tuesday is, is coming up on Amazon. That looks so funny. So can you just explain to people that might not know what it is, what kind of uh, comedy show that they have to look forward to? Sure. Well, you know, you know, even as late as, you know, uh, the, the 90s and 2000s, there wasn't a... A, 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 a large-scale black comedy club in Los Angeles. Okay. Um, so you had all the, you know, you had the known superstars, right? You had the Richard Pryor and the Bill Cosbys, and you also had um, Eddie Murphy and Arsenio Hall. But mm. after that, everybody was kind of on the underground, right? They weren't yeah. known to mainstream audiences. Right. And what Guy Tory did, I mean, here he comes out of uh, St. Louis, gets to L.A., doesn't know anybody, doesn't know anything. But he says, well, there needs to, we need to fix it. So he mm-hmm. goes to the Comedy Store, which is the biggest comedy club in the country. That's where David Letterman got his start. That's where Roseanne Barr got his start. And he goes, we need to do a black comedy night here. And yeah. they say, okay, sure, you can have Tuesday. And he goes, Tuesday? That, that's the worst night of the week. I mean, <laughs> no one's going out on Tuesday. And he's like, do you want it or not? So he takes it. With no experience, he turns it into the hottest night in Los Angeles. Everybody's there. The Lakers are there. Prince is there. Tupac and Snoop are there. Mike Tyson's there. And everybody you know as a comedy superstar was on that stage. Wait, that is sick. That's the coolest thing I've ever heard. It's, wow. it's, it's an amazing story of a guy who just was determined to make it happen and made it happen, not just for himself, but for everybody. Yeah. I mean, you kind of had me at Tupac, so uh, that's pretty cool. Uh, <laughs> seriously, though, I mean, that's all like, think about that. That's literally, that's incredible. And now Fat Tuesday, this cast, I mean, you've got Regina King, Tiffany Haddish, Chris Tucker, Anthony Anderson. And then, I mean, you've got Bob Saget. Like he's, I think he's in like three episodes or something. Well, Bob, first of all, Bob was a true comedian. He loved comedy and he, you know, 
even though he was a giant star being on Full House, he, you know, his comedy was was deeper and broader and wilder and bluer than that. Mm-hmm. And a lot of famous comedians were like, hey, I want to perform for that all-black audience. I want to... I want to be sure my comedy appeals to everybody. Yeah. And he loved performing at Fat Tuesday. He would go there all the time. And they were like, really, Bob Saget? Yeah. And, and, you know, guys <laughs> like, hey, you want to do it? Come on. And the audience yeah. would see him walk out, and they'd be like, are you serious? Cut to them crying, falling out of their chairs. Because yeah. Bob was yeah. brilliant. No, he was. And, and so did you enjoy working with him? He was pretty cool to work with. Oh, my God. He was just a joy to work with because – Truly, in his heart of hearts, he's the nicest guy. He's, mm. he's beloved by everyone, which is why the fact that he's gone so so young, it really has hurt the hearts of so many comedians because he was just a lovable guy who was serious about his work. Yeah, I um, you know, I was I don't want to say I was surprised, but obviously I don't know him personally. I was just surprised at the outpour of love he received and, and how, you know, all, all of these people that were his friends that I just had no idea that they, you know, they felt this way about him and that he was such a kind human, which is great. I mean, I didn't yeah. think anything, you know, otherwise I just, I was, I was, you know, not aware. Now um, the film industry in Hollywood in general, Reginald, it's kind of, you know, been through the ringer the last couple of years, it's getting political. It's get, you know, award shows are not being aired you know, for various reasons. Now, do you think, that it's getting better. They are getting better at diversifying the award shows and who they give awards to. And, and do you think that um, it's going to continue this way? I think they are getting better. I mean, I, I, I actually produced the Oscars the year they had the Oscar So White protest. Oh, you and did? I was, I was very happy to be producing the show that year because the irony is the head of the Academy was black I'm the producer, I'm black, and I had Chris Rock as my host. So in some ways, it was the blackest Oscars ever (laughs) in terms of the people actually running the thing. Yeah. But that protest, which was very appropriate, uh, shined a light on a problem that needed to be fixed. And Mm. because I was on the inside, I was literally in the room where it happened. We were able to make some changes to make the process more fair. Uh, and you've seen in yes. years subsequent to that, you know, you've got more uh, of the most talented people, you know, like the Regina Kings, like the Mahershala Ali's, like Viola Davis winning Oscars. So, mm. you know, that's really what you want. You just want it to be fair so that no one who's super talented is being overlooked. Yeah. And and look, I, I know that the new I think the new guidelines, are they supposed to I think go into play in 2023, 2024 or something like that. I think it's this next year or something where, um, well, I mean, you know, yeah, the show there's been different changes. Like the Oscars changed years ago. I mean, the show that's really got to clean up their act, um, has been the golden globes. Um, yes. and you know, they shut themselves. They've been shut down for what, like two years now. Um, yeah. just cause you know, it's, it's just an organization that needs to do a lot of work. So, you know, uh, you know, they, they've got to, you know, get it together. Um, and, right. uh, and that's the thing. You just want it to, you just want it to be fair. You know, you want it to be fair to the artists who are being considered and mm-hmm. the audience wants it to be fair because 
you know, we're the ones who are watching TV and watching movies. We know what's good. And when you see good stuff and, and good performances being ignored, that's when people get go, man, I can't watch this because this is not right. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I totally agree with you. The Golden Globes, clearly that was a shock to everybody when, you know, we all kind of found out there was not one person of color in the Hollywood press for. And it's like, that was crazy. I was like, wait, what? Like nobody knew. Um, But, you know, I think this year, obviously it wasn't televised. They lost a ton of money. But I think that they did a, a fair job of diversifying their winners. So I think you can agree as well. I'm not putting words in your mouth, but, you know. Well, I mean, here's the thing. While they were doing Golden Globes, um, I mean, it, it's funny. I mean, I, I actually didn't notice who they not. You didn't? Here. But oh, you're the worst, because, Reginald. You're the worst, man. <laughs> I, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. I produce, this has been my second year producing the Emmys, uh, where yeah. we had, you know, Sex with the Entertainer hosting. I'm, uh, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to be producing the NAACP Image Awards, okay. um, which, you know, was built because these award shows weren't uh, nominating people of color. Yeah. So I'm actually not the worst. I'm the most when it comes to award <laughs> Wait, shows. Wait, hold I- on. I have to interrupt you for a second just because we're almost out of time. And I need to ask you, did you choose Cedric the Entertainer to host the Emmys? Well, this is the nice part. When we got the call from CBS, they were like, hey, we want you to produce the show and we want Cedric to host. I'm like, my man? (laughs) Wait, wait, okay. I, I love him. He is one of my favorite comedians. Why did I think he bombed that? I thought he bombed that so badly, Reginald. I was not happy with that. I thought those jokes were not funny. That was just in your house. I got to tell you. (laughs) He was killing people. First of all, here's the bottom line. The ratings went up 17%. They did. Okay. Wow. Award shows have been dropping ratings for years now. That was the first show where the ratings actually went up in years. I was not aware. I literally, I usually pay very close attention to that stuff just for my job and everything. And I was not aware, I think, because I was so offended by his jokes. Um, But wait, that makes me, okay, I'm happy then. Other people liked it. I'm happy. (laughs) Uh, Look, to quote the great Jay-Z, men lie, women lie, numbers don't lie. Ooh. That's good. That is so good. Wow. Well, you know, oh, you are a breath of fresh air. I really enjoyed our conversation, Reginald. Um, I, you know, I follow you on social media. I'm very interested in everything you're doing. I think you're an incredible talent and um, you're a very, very important person to Hollywood and the film industry. So I, you know, I really hope that uh, you don't go anywhere for a really long time. Uh, that's very kind of you. Thank you. And no, I'm not going anywhere. I've got a lot of stuff to do. Well, we look forward to it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay. Okay. So that was Reginald. Um, that was really fun for me to talk to him about the Oscars. And, and it's funny when he said that about the Oscars so white, they were actually the blackest Oscars. Um, off screen. That was very interesting. But um, yeah, so Fat Tuesdays, if you need something funny to watch, um, you know, get on it. It's it's available on Prime Video. Okay, so now let's go on to LaVon Kirkland, who I really like talking with. He was super sweet. Um, I am a little fascinated with uh, the whole Aaron Hernandez story. I really feel like 
Aaron Hernandez would not have committed this murder if it wasn't for CTE. And, you know, I talked to uh, LaVon a little bit about that. And, you know, he he didn't know anyone with CTE, I I, I don't believe. But, you know, he, he agrees it's very, very serious. Um, and like I said, he gives a little take um, or his take on the Super Bowl for this weekend. So it's fun. It's very, it's very casual, very fun. Thank you. And you're going to love LaVon. So hey, LaVon. here he is. Hey, what's How going on? How are you? Not much. So uh, did you know... Well. Did you know that we're Instagram friends? Uh, did we just become Instagram yes! friends? Yes, yesterday. How fun is yeah. that? That is a lot of fun. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, I stalked so, yeah, you. So yeah, for me. I appreciate it. Wait, so did you stalk me or what? Huh? Did you stalk me or what? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. I don't know anything about football. I truthfully don't even know who is playing in the Super Bowl, but I'm super excited to get your take on it because I want to place some bets this year. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. I mean, I really am. Like, I really do want to place bets. I do want to hear your take on it. But um, but okay. no, I, I, uh, I'm committed. I'm committed to actually paying attention this year. But you've had an incredible career, right? Yeah. You've played for I've multiple teams. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, you know, I, I did. I, I was really blessed. I really was. I, I'm from a small town that a lot of people have never heard of before. And to be able to go to Clemson University, which was a marvelous experience for me, then go on to the Pittsburgh Steelers, great organization, play for those guys for nine years, then go to, then go to Seattle, then go to Philly to end it up. I mean, very good career for me. Uh, I really appreciate just you know, a lot of praying, a lot of hard work, man, a lot of just being resilient. And yeah. uh, it worked out for me. What was your favorite yeah. team to play for? Uh, <laughs> obviously, it was the Steelers because I played with those guys a very long time. Yeah. But what I liked about the Steelers more so than anything was the organization, the the atmosphere, the environment, the professionalism, mm-hmm. all those things really, really was a part of the Steeler nation. And I, I think when you're a part of an organization like that, you definitely take ownership when you put it on the field. It's all about it. When, when the players are playing, it's all about the players, and the players got to do it. They got to yeah. get it done. Right. It was a sense of I playing with the Steelers and their defense, and especially playing the linebacker position with Jack Ham and Zach Lambert. I mean, you had to kind of like, <laughs> you really had to really keep it up. Yeah, and we had guys like Greg Lord and Kevin Green and Chad Brown and myself, and I felt like I felt the responsibility to play well. And fortunately, mm-hmm. we were able to play well. Like I said, I had a, a pretty good career. Yeah, this is so random, but I was actually at a bar last week. I live in New York City, and it was a, a Philadelphia Eagles bar, which I thought was very random for the city. But I guess they're they're scattered everywhere. Um, now. <laughs> This is super random, but something I've always been very fascinated with, and I don't think it gets enough attention, is CTE. I really, I really feel like, um, you know, guys that are playing in the NFL, they need to be checked for this, and they need to be treated for this, and there needs to be more attention um, put on this, this whole thing. I mean, the Aaron Hernandez story, it like blew my mind, completely blew my mind how it was just so overlooked. So what are your thoughts on that? Did you know anyone with CTE? 
I, you know, not really, but it is a concern. I mean, as a football player, uh, when that came about and the whole concussion thing was put out in the forefront, you were worried because yeah. um, it puts your body on the line. Well, you understand about putting your body on the line, but when it came to the effects of concussions and, you know, what CTE could possibly do, yeah, it's a, a little bit of a worry, you know. It, right. it really is. And, uh, yeah. yeah, I think it's something that, you know, guys should be compensated for. I think the NFL should really take care of their former players, their current players. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if they do that because it's such a money-grabbing kind of thing. And the owners are, although it's supposed to be like it's the NFL, but every owner is kind of an individual owner. And yeah. <laughs> they make billions and billions of dollars. And they want to keep that thing in the family as long as they can. So. Yeah, I think it is a concern, but, you know, the leadership, I feel like the ones who really make the decisions, you know, really need to look at the guys who are just, in a lot of ways, you know, most guys who played in the NFL, they probably mm-hmm. come from low-income families, and they're just trying to make it. And, you know, oh. that's a dream of theirs, and they're well, pulling for that dream. Yeah, that's, I don't <laughs> like hearing that, because that kind of sucks. Oh. Like, that, you know, they just deal with it, because you know, they feel like they have no choice. Yeah, you, you know, it's amazing. You know, it's just like, yeah. you know, <laughs> NFL, you kind of feel like, okay, there's no great guaranteed contracts and everybody just kind of goes with it. Or uh, this is what's supposed to happen. So everybody, the majority goes with it. Mm. And I think that well, the players are, you know, it has to be some changes, just like civil rights changes. Yeah. You know, you have to, people know who are in charge that things need to be different because right. if not, they're just, they're just keep carrying on. Like they keep carrying on everything. Yeah. Good. No, but that's, that's super interesting. Um, yeah. To hear you say that just because I didn't really, I guess I didn't think about that. I didn't put it into perspective like that, where they're just like, Oh no, it can't be CTE. Cause then I won't be able to play anymore. And then, you know, my life is over, but like you had a really long career. You played for over what? 11 years, 12 years. And you not once were worried that maybe your head was getting banged around too much? Yeah, you know, um, I this is what I think. This is my theory. I, I think that most players, like, there's a comparison to the military and the football. And football is the reason why, I think. Because you come in very young. And you're mm-hmm. very trainable. And, wow. you come in with a, and you come in with a certain mindset. And that mindset... Um, when you start football at, at high school, all the way to college, to the NFL, there are certain characteristics or certain traits that you think you should have. Right. And one of those traits is if something is wrong that you should push through, you know, you keep pushing through, you keep pushing through, which, which kind of it, it makes you forget about some of the other things because your training is all about going forward, about yeah. helping the team, about winning. And so sometimes when things are not as well you're not listening to your body mm-hmm. you're not listening because you're trained to continue to play the game no matter what happens if you can walk you know all these all these rah-rah you know motivational <laughs> speeches you get yeah. you feel like okay let me go out there and keep going no matter what happens and mm-hmm. you know that's not but i mean you're young you know you're yeah. not really you know, a young man, you really don't develop that precortex 
um, until later. That's <laughs> so a good call. You, you, you've just been kind of a group thinker for a long time. Let me, you know, let me do my best. You know, let me do this for the team, for the cause. And a lot of times, you know, after it's all over with, now it's you as an individual and you're kind of lost and you're yeah. wondering what happened. Mm. Um, that's just kind of how the game was designed, you know, to get guys out there to put themselves on the line. It's so much like the military that it's almost scary. That I, I didn't think of it like that, but I suppose you're right. <laughs> now, you are coaching now, and uh, it's no secret that the world has changed a lot from when you were playing on a team um, now to when you're coaching. You know, there's cancel culture. People are trying to be woke over everything. Um, now, how, how has this affected you in, in your, your everyday life and, and, and you coaching? Well, you know, I don't coach traditionally like, uh, you know, like on the field coaching. Um, mm -hmm. I'm actually going back to school. To, I'm going back to get my master's in psychology. Oh, I didn't so, realize that. Ways, so cool. Uh, yeah. So in a lot cool. of ways, it fits what I do, you know, because I'm trying to trying to create the holistic person and mm -hmm. trying to uh, get guys to transform from being, you know, just a good football player to an excellent football players. But I try to do it differently where we talk about mindset. We talk about discipline. We talk about the mental aspect of it and how you get there from my experience. I so love I that. Okay. So you were telling these guys that it's all mental, not all, but majority of this is mental. Well, a lot of it is mental and how you approach it and try to have that kind of championship mindset. I, mm. I try to go from that. I feel like, you know, we do, there's a lot of training out there, but it's more physical training and that stuff as well as it is. And I think football is a great teacher for young men. I feel like there's some other things that we can talk about that can help them overall. Yeah. You know? But, you know, we we try to create, you know, we try to create guys who want to be student athletes. And then you kind of attack the, the holistic part of being a football player. And yeah. I think that was lasting effects more so than let me show you how to run through some dummies. Let me show you how to. <laughs> in a, yeah, I feel like these guys probably need that. I can imagine that when they're 19 coming on the scene, they're not like, you know, Oh, I need to think about this mentally. You know, they're probably just thinking, how do I run as fast as possible? Or how do I throw the ball as far as possible? Um, now it's, right. it's black history month and you know, a lot of things have happened, uh, in this country. And I, I think, um, it's been a rough couple of years, but I think that sure. we're making progress, but what do you think? Yeah, there's, there's been progress, but then there's, there's, there hasn't been progress. Okay, I, I yeah. think that, I think that we are, I think it was a revisit. I think that things were maybe swept under the rug and it piled up and it overflowed because we didn't really address everything. What do you think we are missing? Well, I think there's um, a lot of, if you look at a system of the United States and yeah. I think there's been some things that have been left behind. And I, I know people always say, you know, slavery was so long ago and, you know, it should be over it. But you, you think about the lasting effects of it. You think about, you know, 
um, back in 1920, if I'm, you know, if I want to purchase some land from uh, Myrtle Beach and I'm a African American or a Black American, yeah, I couldn't do that. No, no you're right. I, you're right. I I, I think cannot, it's actually really I, fucked up when people say "get over it, get over it." I think it's super fucked up as a white person. I mean, it is, it is, it's like so messed up. I could never imagine. And same thing with the Holocaust. If someone says, get over it, I cannot even imagine. I think I would lose my shit. It's a lasting effect. You think about it. Something that happened that long ago is still lasting. Of course. The people who have it, people with power, they're not, they're not dealing with it. You know, they don't have to Mm -hmm. deal with it on a regular basis. It's kind of like, you know, if you think about the NFL, we talk about um, the the hiring of black head coaches. Mm-hmm. Um, most the uh, psychology would tell you that most people they kind of side with their side. You know, if I'm a, if I'm a, if I'm this color, I right. usually go with this color. Or right. if I am in this religion, I usually follow that religion, even if it may be wrong. If I'm a Republican. And, you know, I give it to my kids, they're Republicans, and they kind of follow their mindset, Democrats, same way. So I think a lot of times when you think about coaching, most of the coaches that are, uh, or most of the owners are, you know, they're they're white men mm. that may not, if, I, if you were to invite me to their house for a cookout, you know, the only reason why is because I've, as a black man, I've done something extraordinary. But, like, as a regular cookout, you know, like coming to their house for dinner is probably not happening. You know, normally the people that go to dinner there are the same people that go to dinner there. So the, the interactions that you have is probably some of the same people that mm. you have interaction with all the time. It's not as diverse as you think it is. You know, everybody yeah. thinks they're independent. Thinkers. Everybody thinks they're, they're diverse. And a lot of times they're not. So the pattern is going to continue this way until you change ownerships and maybe their way of thinking. Yeah. And that changed. And that's why you see guys who get jobs. You're like, what in the world? <laughs> How did that guy get a job? Uh, you know, totally. it's the same guy. You know, it's the same tires on the car. So <laughs> until you change, until you change the mindset of the owners or the rulers of the world, it's going to be the way it's going to be. I, I completely understand um, what you're saying. And, and you know what, I think that you, you do have a, a good outlook on everything and you, you have a positive attitude, which is, you know, which is really lovely. So, um, all right, Levon, yeah. I'm not going to take up too much more of your time, but just to close things out, I want to ask you, what are your Super Bowl predictions? Who's going to win? You're going to be surprised. I'm going to go with the Cincinnati Bengals. And I know okay. that they're the underdogs. But, okay. you know, they've been the underdog in every game they've been to. I think they feel comfortable about it. I think for them, they don't have anything to really lose. But also, just if you look at their football team, I, I think that they have a quarterback that can lead them, and he's cool under pressure. But they got guys who can make plays. But I feel like the surprising part of their team is the defensive side of it. Mm. Uh, the defense has been holding up pretty well. They got two guys who can really rush the passer very well. Um, they are a gutsy team. And I think if they can hold it to the fourth quarter where it's close, I think they have the advantage. <laughs> I am laughing because I'm like, I don't have the slightest clue what you're talking about. 
Yeah. But hopefully, hopefully everyone listening will. <laughs> you know the thing is too though, sometimes what? you know, like the more you know, the more you don't know in football. Yeah. I mean it's it's a dick these It is well, that's has, people they, ask me. As they come yeah. across as experts, but I bet that if I ask my daughter who really doesn't like football, who who's going to win, she probably picked the right team because she don't yes. really care that much about it. So, That's what we were just talking about that, whatever, like the other day. <laughs> yeah, whatever forms you like best are, if you think one quarterback is cuter than the other one, I say go with that. Yep. Uh, or which color I like better on, like which jersey color. That's exactly. basically what I how yeah. I. Like. Well, LaVon, this has been so lovely. Thank you so much. It was so nice to meet you. Um, we can totally keep in touch on Instagram. Let's be friends. Okay, sounds good. Okay, thank you. Have a great week. All right. Bye. All right. That was LaVon Kirkland. So um, you know what, guys? You can find them both on Instagram. Their Instagram handles are both their names. They are such great guys um, and very different, but so awesome. So I hope you like this new format. Um, Let me know what you think. You can email me. Um, Lauren at magicshack.com, or you can hit me up on Instagram at Lauren underscore interviews or on Twitter at Conlin underscore Lauren. Okay, guys, thanks for listening. Until next time.